welcome to the next uh, edition of the Yuppie Chef podcast. And very appropriately today, we are on the slopes of Table Mountain. And we are here speaking to Cheryl Lezinski, um, who might be well known to most people throughout the city of Cape Town, as she's been very, very much involved with Cape Town tourism and with the, the inner city market. And we're here to talk a bit more today about who she is and how she's gotten to where she is today and what are her passions. So tell me, to start off with, um, we know that you have a very strong connection to the food and travel industry here in Cape Town. And many years ago, you took over Cape Town Tourism and then the CTRU. Explain a bit about who you are and how all of this has led to what you're doing now. Yeah, well, I think everybody who lives in Cape Town is passionate about our city. And luckily, I found myself involved in career op- opportunities that got that enabled me to promote the city, and that was tourism. When I joined, I think it was back in 1998, I knew absolutely nothing about tourism, and it was a fledgling industry, and it was very exciting to begin to look at the industry, and we built it up into quite a successful industry. And then I left because they started restructuring, and you know, as government does every couple of years, and one needed to get out and clear one's head a bit and start something new. So um, I've then became involved in urban farming more recently because we found a neglected piece of land in our neighborhood and I was involved in the neighborhood watch and we wanted to ensure that the neighborhood was safer and we decided to try and see if we could resurrect this as an urban farm because it was one 300 years ago. And uh, because the farm needed money, we started a market. And this market has grown and grown and grown, moved three times in a year. And now we're at the waterfront with our own farmer's market. And hopefully it will be there for for a while yet. Great. So I think a lot of people who aren't from Cape Town may not even know about this market. So you said it sort of came out of, you know, know, um, like a redevelopment of of this plot and, and wanting to make the area safer. But... How did you get buy-in from the community around you? Yeah, so that's very important. I mean, basically, this whole journey started in this house about uh, 15 years ago. My partner and I were attacked in our home. We had a a gun to our heads one Sunday morning. And after the anger and after the trauma of that kind of incident, you get to think about what you're doing and ask a lot of questions. How many times does things like that happen in our area who keeps the crime stats, who works with the police. And the answer to those questions was no one. There was nothing. And so we began to start a neighborhood watch. And seven years down the line, the neighborhood watch is now very active in the community, keeps the crime stats, works with the police. We raised a million rand for security cameras. And we know better about what is happening in our area from a crime perspective. Uh, But crime, you know, dealing with crime, that doesn't make one a happy person. That doesn't give one inspiration. Yeah, sure. That doesn't change the world. So once a place is safe, then you can start looking at all kinds of other things that are inspiring, like urban farming and what food means as something that everybody eats three times a day, every day. And uh, it brings people together. And that's what this it's done in our community, even though we're no longer here. When the market was next to the farm, people would come out on Saturdays, they would walk around the beds of beetroot and buchu and ask (laughs) questions and talk to the farmers. And they got to know much more about where their food comes from and how important it is to understand what's in our food. You know, we are what we eat, and yet our food system is broken. 
we pay the doctor to make us better when we should be paying the farmer to keep us healthy. Yeah. So something is wrong. You know, one out of every five South Africans is food insecure. That means that they don't have access to nutritious food every day. And that impacts on their potential as adults. So we've got to learn more about this food system and who's benefiting from it as it is currently and why it should be changed. In India, if you look at an economically poor family and you compare them to a South African family with the same income, you'll see that the Indian family is eating healthy, fresh foods mm. every day. The South African family eating highly processed, highly refined, full of sugar, and that's because it's cheap. And it's crazy that fresh vegetables and fruit, when they are produced in such high numbers in our country, are all exported, and the retailers in the country have a monopoly, and the prices are, are very, very high. And that shouldn't be the case. We should all be growing food all over. It should be abundant. It should be cheap and plentiful and available to poor people. And markets, I mean, now you've got me going off here. Because <laughs> if I think about cities like Barcelona, the authority, the Barcelona municipality, nobody in Barcelona lives further than 10 minutes away from a fresh produce market. Wow. And the authorities fund the entity that manages the markets and they fund the infrastructure. And that is because they want their population to have access to good food. And they understand the need for that. Plus, they understand the need to support small farmers, micro farmers. And, um, so you, the infrastructure, obviously, is one of the biggest hurdles. What, what do you think the big challenges are that Cape Town faces and able to you know, maybe reproduce that model? Well, I think you know, our city would need to get involved. And I think our city perhaps thinks that they have other priorities right now. But I think food is probably sure. the priority. You know, that, and that hasn't had much attention. We've allowed the retailers to dominate the game. And we've allowed them to charge whatever prices they need to charge. And they are managing the farmers now. So, yeah. it's, it's, so what needs to change is that I think we need to claim back the space, we as citizens, we as the city, we as people who, who want to eat healthy food. And we need to understand much more of the system. Why is food grown? Is it grown for nutrition or is it grown for longevity on the, on the shelf? Uh, where is it transported from? Why are we importing food? Why are we exporting all our fabulous um, fruit and that we grow in the country? You can hardly get fruit from a farmer now because, of course, the exchange rate is so good that uh, it pays them to export rather than sell locally. So there are a lot of challenges. And, I mean, these challenges have been documented by people like Leonie O'Bear and people... Uh, working at the University of Cape Town in mm. agriculture, uh, Jane Battersby. But it needs to come out of these academic documents and it needs to be taken into practice by city authorities, by people who, NGOs, who, who want to make changes in the food system. And okay. it, I'm, I'm pretty passionate about it because I didn't know anything about the system before we started farming and we've just learned so much. Sure. And we also realize how people love to, to browse in a market, to see fruit and vegetables that are new to them perhaps, that are not packaged, things like kale. They want to understand the, the, the benefits of kale mm. nutritionally. They want to know how to cook artichokes that don't have 
chokes like we've got now, Violetta artichokes from a fabulous farmer called Giuseppe Lagaguta who has imported 120,000 plants and is farming in the Ney Valley. Another Italian farmer, Gabriello, who's, in, who's growing asparagus for the first time near Wolseley. We always imported asparagus from Spain. Mm. And, and these are people that, that need to somehow be brought into an umbrella body, body and supported and helped. And that's what we found. You know, people think we're running a market at the waterfront, but behind this are 15 or 20 micro farmers who we are helping to grow organically, supporting them, buying everything that they can grow from Philippi, from Elgin, from Stellenbosch, from Kai Leacher. Yeah. Um, behind the market are 60 or so traders that rely on the market to support them and their families. 200 employees those 60 traders have. We are building pride. We're getting people to know much more about their food systems. We're selling unusual fruit and food like dragon fruit and rainbow shard and all of those things. So it's, it's a much bigger picture behind what you just see when you come to the market on a Saturday. That's great. And for you, has this whole idea of organic living and sustainability been something that's been a thread throughout your life? Or is it something that you've kind of picked up later in life? I'm not sure. I think that you used to run a recycling yes, uh, business at one right. point as well. I got involved and started both Petco and Polyco that recycle plastic, both industry bodies. There's my cat coming in through the flap. <laughs> Um, both industry bodies um, that support extended producer responsibility, they pay to have their products collected and recycled. But at the end of the day, I think, yeah, healthy eating was something that I did naturally. Uh, it's not something that I was brought up with because as a Jewish person growing up with a grandmother who loved <laughs> baking, it wasn't something I used to eat. I eat, you know, I grew up on, on sugar but um, more recently, I think I've, I've learned a lot about mm. the, the ills of sugar, that it's in a way the new tobacco, and we should be very, very careful of what we take in. And I've realized that not everything is marked. Whatever you, you buy, you know, one must be very careful to look at the ingredients. For example, if food is genetically modified, it's, there's no obligation for our producers to mark that it's genetically mm. modified. And not enough is known in the world about the impact of genetically modified food. There is some talk about infertility in women and other ills, but these are, these are things that we ought to know much more about. Absolutely. So, so tell us a bit about the, the, the journey the market's gone on. Uh, it started in Aranyazicht. Um, you said it's moved three times. Yes, in the last year or so it's moved three times. So we started next to our farm because we needed to make some money to support the farm. And we literally started on a hay bale with a box of Eddie Redlinges, who <laughs> his grapes, he runs yeah. an organic grape farm in Paul, and he also runs Reliance Organic Compost. And then people started coming more and more and more, and our market grew. We bought a little tent to cover the traders, and then one day the rigor of the tent put a rope around a heritage wall, and down came the wall. Oof. And with that, a lot of issues came tumbling down. It was quite interesting because I just see that wall falling down in my head now. I can see it. And then all the things that came after that, <laughs> like I had, we had to sign a, a stop works order, Heritage Western Cape, that we wouldn't put the tent up again. And we 
then had to go to a Belcom meeting. Belcom is the built environment committee of the provincial heritage agency. Mm. And they then said, well, no, you can't put up the tents again. You have to do a um, an archaeological survey of what's underneath the site. You have to do a carrying capacity analysis of what the site can carry, a mm. traffic plan. And these were all things that, as an NGO, we really couldn't take on. Sure. So we decided to close the market. And then there was a social media outburst, and somebody tweeted it. Helen Zilla to say, move the market to Luanoff. She called us in. It was on the Thursday. On the Saturday, we were on wow. the rugby field at Luanoff. And then we were there for six months. It was unbelievable. What a setting. And yeah. she opened her pool, the Premier did. She conducted the traffic even when the traffic got out of hand and people were just completely shocked from all over the world they were coming to this premier's house and they you know just were, they were saying nowhere in the world would this happen absolutely nowhere 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 and uh, yet it happened in our city and we were there for 6 months and then the the winter rains came down and the ground is very wet because the drainage at Luanoff needs a lot of attention sure so we had to move off and luckily the waterfront came forward and said, you know, we'll, we'll be pleased to host you. And I found that site. It was a, a waste site full of um, where the waterfront kept their waste. And it's been upgraded and it still needs a lot of work, but it is potentially a beautiful site with views of mountain and sea. Beautiful. And there are very few places, actually, if we think about it, where Cape Townians can go and sit and see the sea. Yeah. in our city and look how much coastline we have yeah. and yet somehow we we don't have that opportunity. So to, where exactly in the waterfront is it for people so who at, want to go? Yeah, it's on the Granger Bay side. So it's next to the Lookout event, event venue and it's opposite the Somerset Hospital. It's about um, 1,500 square meters of wow. site and we've currently put up tents. Chattels have been very helpful and so have free form. They've literally loaned us the tents Wow. And, um, yeah, it's been a labor of love, to be honest. It's been a lot of volunteer hours put into making mm. this farmer's market work. We're only trading one day a week, so it's not viable, really, to pay ourselves yeah. big salaries. Um, but going forward, I think it's going to need a lot of capital to create perhaps a building on the site or some kind of more permanent structure than tents. difficult to operate in tents in winter and yeah. in summer. And uh, most farmer's markets around the world are owned by the cities, like Pike Place in Seattle. The city formed an agency to run the market, it's, um, and they've capitalized the market. And that is something that we'd love to see here, even in a place like Green Market Square. Sure. Groen Market, it was originally <laughs> yeah. a green market, <clears throat> and in, they sold vegetables there, and that's what we would like to see happen again. Lots of markets all over our city, somehow subsidized because they need to be. They're not viable businesses in their own right unless you sell lots of alcohol. And that's not something that we want to necessarily get into. Sure. Um, but at the end of the day, it is about people being able to afford healthy food. And that day should come in our country soon. It's, as I said, it's just beyond crazy that people can't afford to buy broccoli and cauliflower. Yeah, especially cauliflower with the, yeah, the, exactly. <laughs> the recent Yeah, exactly. Thanks to the rise. banting diet. Exactly. 
So, so tell us about some of the, what are some of the challenges that you're facing now with your new location at the waterfront and how do they differ to sort of the challenges you faced in the past with the market? Yeah, well, I think the market has grown now to a point where it's, it's become a business, to be honest, you know. It's, it's got to be run as a professional business. It's got to register for VAT. It's got to send out invoices to all its traders every month. It's got to buy a new infrastructure like tables. We've got to have some kind of a more permanent structure. And we've been looking at anything from containers to barn-type structures that could be built on that site. But the waterfront also has plans for that site going forward long-term. We'd like to see them as some kind of a partner. The entity is still in a non-profit organization, so there are challenges in that respect. People perhaps won't put in capital you know, investments in this market if it's owned by a non-profit entity. So there's quite a lot to sort out. The drainage, the electrics... Um, and we'd like to have a farm on the site of the market so people can identify between the food that they're buying and how it's grown. And that was why it was so spectacular when we were next to our own little farm um, when we had the market there. And then there's plans for demonstration kitchens wow. so we can have lots of demonstrations by chefs and others on anything from pickling food to ferment, fermenting food to healthy probiotics and macrobiotics and cooking with shard or kale or custard apples and artichokes. This week our artichoke farmer is coming and he's going to demonstrate how to make fabulous artichokes. There's ideas of children's playgrounds so that it becomes more of a family destination. We want to trade more often than just once a week. Um, so lots, lots of ideas, and you know, I've been looking at so many examples from overseas, places like mm. Pike Place Market in Seattle, places like the grounds of Alexandria in Sydney, and um, we'd like to to green the waterfront. We'd like to to create an urban orchard there, full wow. of fruit trees or edible vegetables. So and reclaim the city. Yeah, reclaim reclaim some of the landscaping that is at the waterfront that uh, yeah. that people could enjoy and walk through. And there's a beautiful walk that the waterfront is is planning from uh, the waterfront right along to the to the Sea Point uh, Promenade. Oh, beautiful! That would be and great. That is. That would be great. That's that's almost in place. And imagine if one could landscape that in as a food landscape. Sure with edible fruit trees and, and plants that people could could There's a whole space enjoy. all along the sort of the, the, you know, like Mully Point almost. It's all that. Before you get, you know, around the corner to the lighthouse, I mean, would there not be a possibility of doing something? There's a lot of it's open space It's all possible. There. It's all possible. And, you know, it just takes some champion and a bit of money and anything's, anything's yeah. doable. I think that's the, that's the truth. Money talks, I think. <laughs> but... Um, but it sounds like a foodie's dream, and it sounds like what it could become, the, the possibilities are almost endless. Oh, they are. They are, and that's why I'm kind of, you know, I saw a fantastic Netflix documentary the other night on Dan Barber. I don't know if you've heard of him. He's a, a chef in New York, and he's got Blue Hill. It's a farm um, close to New York, and he's got two restaurants, one there and one in Manhattan. Mm. And he was the first guy to sort of talk about the the plant-to-plate movement 
um, and farm to fork. And he sure. has this farm and he's getting people to grow, farmers to grow new kinds of wheat so that he can make bread that is gluten-free. And he works with heirloom varieties of vegetables like we do that are not grown commercially anymore. Mm. Delicious tomatoes and gorgeous cucumbers that taste like a tomato and taste like a cucumber. Wow. And, um, you know, he's... He's, um, so why was I talking about this now? <laughs> yeah, I was just, just saying was the possibilities are endless. For yeah, the possibilities are endless. So imagine if we could have a restaurant on the site there. Sure. That is owned by a fancy, well-known chef, and we could have a farm right next door. And I think this farm, I even heard Noma yesterday, they're closing down in Copenhagen, and in 2016 or 2017, he's going to open a new restaurant somewhere else on a very neglected site in Copenhagen. It's currently got skate ramps and graffiti on it, and he's going to build an urban farm because he as well, what's his name again? Forgotten. It's an Italian red zeppi or something. He also understands that if you want to be a top chef, you have got to be able to work with nature and you've got to be able to work with the plants from seed stage wow. through to seedling to then be able to absolutely fine-tune your cooking. So you feel like that's kind of like the movement that the world is going in at the moment? Chefs it are sort of buying into this idea? It seems to be. It seems to be. Well, that's great. And, um, you know, it's taken a long time for us to understand that, you know, we, we can't control nature. We have to work with nature. We have to be in tune with nature. Even if you going to cook ingredients, you need to understand what plants grow as companions together. Mm. And those are the more likely ingredients that could work in a pot as mm. well. And, and all these tastes and how you can get so much better results using heirloom vegetables. And mm. there are probably thousands of varieties of vegetables that we don't grow anymore because our retailers have decided what vegetables and fruit we should eat and which ones are commercially viable and not. And so we have to go and revisit all these plants and fruit again and, and begin to grow them. Mm. And they were grown then for taste and nutrition. And when you bite a tomato, I don't know if you've had an heirloom tomato, but farmers amazing. markets are renowned for the quality of their tomatoes. So we have to work very, very hard to find and locate all these fruits and vegetables that we sell on Saturdays. And it takes us about four or five days just to go and fetch and bring all these um, beautiful prod produce to our market. Yeah. No, that, I mean, it, it really does. Uh, it excites It excites me, like, the, the thought that this could <laughs> you be... You look excited. No, I mean, it is. Uh, you know, like, I love I love food. I love, obviously, cooking. We, you know, being a yuppie chef, it's, it's a big culture of food there. But personally... Um, it's always been a passion of mine. I love cooking yeah. and it's, it's great to see sort of uh, the movement going where it seems like it's going. Yeah. And, um, but for you, looking back at where, where you started and how this all started, did you ever see the journey going in the direction no, that it's No, one never in? does. If you did see the journey, you probably wouldn't start. So it's better not to even try and look into your crystal ball and see where all this is going to end. It's better just to do it and keep it going somehow and... You know, it's, it's been a huge amount of hard work. If I think about the hours that we've put in, the early mornings, I mean, Fridays we 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 running around collecting all our produce. Saturday mornings we 
We then lay out everything on a Friday because our displays are so beautiful. I don't know if you've seen the vegetable display. Mm. It takes us about seven hours to wow. just display them. And the aesthetics of, of seeing food displayed in such an attractive way are what, what appeals to our customers. Yeah, it's a whole eating and with your eyes thing. Eating so. with your eyes. And we've lost that because everything is packaged in our supermarkets and you know, full of plastic. Mm. And food is not meant to be presented in that way. No. But uh, yeah, when I look back, I think it's been an incredible journey. Who knows where it's going to end? Hopefully Cape Town will have its own farmer's market. That's what I'd like to see. A Cape Town farmer's market established somewhere central with facilities and fridges and parking bays for everybody. Just like every other city in America, there are 800 farmer's markets. And, um, yeah, crazy. Yeah, and some kind of agency that helps to make all of these farmer's markets work and works with farmers because essentially they are the ones who, who we mm. need in our lives. So, so the city as a whole, you obviously have a big background in tourism for the city and, you know, you're a resident here, you, you know, everyone who lives here loves it, but you would know better than most people, what, what, do you, what is it about Cape Town really that you believe so passionately in and what do you believe that we have to offer here that maybe other places around the world don't have to offer? Well, I think this incredible natural setting, you know, I just look out of my windows and I see different views every day because the mountain is changing all the mm. time. We've got... We are living in a in a uh, nature reserve. That's the Table Mountain Nature Reserve. Sure. There's no other city I know of in the world that is a proclaimed nature reserve. So we have Feinbos, we have incredible varieties of trees and flowers, and we've got to look after this for future generations. And how better to look after it than by enabling visitors to enjoy it. And that's what I always say about heritage. A heritage site that is neglected and nobody visits it is of no value to anyone because it's going to be, it's going to fall apart. Mm. There's got to be some understanding by the city about heritage and engaging people in their heritage and bringing people to a site and allowing a site to flourish, even if there needs to be some kind of visitor intervention as opposed to keeping it pristine and nobody goes there and it falls apart. So we live in this nature reserve, but how many people are benefiting from this nature reserve? How many people are unemployed in our city? So what do we need to do? We need to create employment around tourism. We need to bring people to various sites. We need to create tours. We need to create more visitor attractions. And we need to bring this entire nature reserve alive. Mm and allow people to benefit from it. And if they benefit from it, the likelihood of conserving it going forward is very, very high. As opposed to more and more development, which is what I see in our city, more and more developers enriching themselves. And what is that going to mean for future generations who are going to not perhaps see this city like we are seeing it today? Mm, sure. Okay, so to end with, I've got just a fun question for you. So if I said to you, I could get you a reservation tonight at any restaurant in Cape Town, which one would you choose? <laughs> well, I mean, the test kitchen is some, you know, Have you anybody. Been there? I've been there once and I was taken there for dinner by a friend. It was just an incredible experience. Luke Dale Roberts, I'd wish him to create a farm if he hears this podcast. Luke, 
Let's let's do a farm. Well, maybe we'll get him somewhere. on a podcast sometime and just have a chat to him. We'll let's say Cheryl a, says start a farm. Let's do a farm, maybe even a rooftop farm somewhere. Mm. Uh, and you know, I'd love to go there. But I think there's so many good restaurants in Cape Town, and we are so fortunate because you know we have access to all these pl- places. And I I just there, there's small little restaurants. There's Savoy Cabbage that I love very much. Mm. I often go there, and uh, the kitchen in Woodstock. We all love to, and I think there needs to be more and more restaurants in areas that we currently don't, as Cape Townians, frequent. You know, mm. we should we should open up the townships. There should be fabulous restaurants. If you want to braai as a tourist, where do you go? You can't go and experience a traditional South African braai anywhere. Mm. And that's something that I'd love to do at the waterfront on a Sunday and invite different chefs to come and showcase good South African food, which, which, again, you know, we have Mexican restaurants, we have cuisine of every <laughs> culture, but we haven't really like the Australians have. They've created an Australian food culture, mm. and I think MasterChef perhaps helped, but yeah. we, we haven't done that as South Africans, and yet yeah. people tell me that our restaurants are better than the Australian restaurants. And yet, look what the Australians have done with food. They're world-renowned. Mm. And I think that is something that we could work on. And it could employ people. We should start proper culinary academies. We should get our young people involved in food. We should get new, a new food culture going in the city. And uh, I think that so many people could benefit from that. Great. Well, Cheryl, thank you so much for your time. Um, it's been amazing chatting to you. I think your your passion for for food and the city is infectious, and you know hopefully we'll see this market become even more of an institution than it already is in the city. And uh, hopefully, you know, five years time, ten years time, we'll we'll see all these dreams come true with these urban farms and and rooftop farms. And Nukedale Roberts will be one of the biggest uh, suppliers of that. So thank you so much again for your time. Thank you very much. 